Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. And we will kind of pick up where we left off last week, although we'll back up just two verses to verse 16. And I'll read from verse 16 to the end of the chapter, James chapter 1. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. As we've been studying the book of James then, um, we saw instantly, um, we looked at that James was a, a Jewish man, his name is actually Jacob, and he's writing to a Jewish audience who've been scattered throughout the nations because of persecution. And we saw that he wanted to tell them then um, this concept of God being the giver of every good, morally good gift in every perfect bestowment. And this was important because of what he then said in context, um, and that is that God allows, potentially allows, trials, troublesome situations to come into your life. And when he does that, we are to consider them as joyous moments. Again, the, the church many times teaches that joy doesn't necessarily mean happy, but it does. It's literally what the word is. And you know, when we looked it up, right, that um, when the women departed from the tomb, they saw that the tomb was empty. They left with great joy. It wasn't like, well, in spite of everything that's going on, I guess I'm, I'm good with this. No, it was excitement. It was happiness. And so that's the same word that we're told that we're supposed to be having when it comes to troublesome situations entering into our life. Why? Because we know that God is using the troublesome situations to cause us to strengthen, to cause us to grow in our endurance. Remember our hupo meno or our hupo mane, okay? Ability to remain under the, the struggles that are going on, okay? So he's strengthening us. He's causing us to grow through these things. And so his purpose, his predestined purpose for us 
is to be conformed to the image of Christ, and he's using these hupomones, right, or using these periasmos, which we're going to get to in a moment, this, these troublesome times, in order to cause us to grow in our hupomene, okay, in order to cause us to grow in our ability to, um, to stand under them and become more like Jesus, okay? So then we saw um, in the midst of this as well that God, when he does these things, he is not the one who is then causing us to be tempted, tried, tested. Rather, we are being tempted, tried, tested, troubled by our own desires that run amok. And so if you remember last week, we talked about that literally all um, enticing desires, if you would, all burning passions aren't necessarily evil. They're not wicked. So the angels have a burning passion to know about the things of redemption, okay? That's not a bad thing. Jesus had a burning passion to, to burn with passion to be with the disciples on, on the day of Pentecost. And so if you have a burning passion for God, it's not a bad thing. But if you have a burning passion for the things of the world, that's a bad thing. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, those are the burning passions for the world. And so if you have the burning passions for the world, you're lusting after things with your eyes, you're lusting after things in your flesh, you're lusting after things, if you would, with your pride. So it's not the same term there with the pride, pride of life, but it really is the lust of your pride because you want to be elevated, okay? Then those are, those are things, and those are the things that bring troublesome situations into your life. And we're told in Galatians chapter 5 that the Spirit lusts after the flesh, and the flesh lusts after the spirit. Now, that seems kind of weird, but they have a burning passion against each other. And these are contrary to one another, so you do not do the things that you would. And so within you, Romans 7 says, there's a battle that's going on between the lusts, if you would, the burning passions of your flesh, and the burning passions of your spirit, assuming that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have no burning passions of the spirit. You have no burning passions toward God. You're loving life as it goes. You may not love the consequences of what you're doing, but you're doing everything to please yourself. Does it make sense? But now you, come, you get saved, right? Now you come to know Jesus, and you realize there's something that's way out there that's beyond what's, what, what's going on in this world, and you start to have this burning passion for God. The problem is the burning passions that you have for God are contrary to the burning passions that you have in your flesh. And you've got to make a decision which burning passion you're going to go after, right? And so we have all these things that are going on. And God says, back in the previous slide, but he says as well in that, that when we don't know what we're going to do, where do we turn? We turn to him. So what? So we have all this information that we've done over the last three weeks. One of the things I heard many years ago when preaching message, the guy said, at the end of the message, there's always a big what? So what? You can give a whole lot of information. You get a whole lot of theology, but really there's a what? So what? What should I do as a result of all this information? Well, God told us, right, go back to it, right? You go to God. He's the giver of all wisdom. You ask God. If you don't know, what am I going to do with all this? Then go to God and ask God because he's the giver of all wisdom and he loves to give to everyone who asks liberally. You got to ask yourself, do you really believe it? Do you really believe that God will lead you? God will guide you. God will give you wisdom. Jesus said, it's profitable for you, for me to leave. Because if I leave, this is from Romans 4, or Romans, John 14, John 16. It says, if I leave, I will send the, oops, the Holy Comforter, right? And the Holy Comforter, what's his job? Not just to convict the world of righteousness, judgment, and sin, but for the believers, what's he going to do? 
He's going to lead you into all sin. He's going to remind you of the teachings of Christ. He's going to lead you into all truth. Do you believe it? So when you go to ask God for wisdom and understanding, do you really believe God will answer you? Now, when you God, go to God and, he, and you're asking for this wisdom and understanding, what do I do with all this kind of stuff? It's going to break down into two phases. Oops, sorry, I must not have had that turned on. Oh, oh, do what he is calling you to do. Be what he's calling you to be. And both of those are going to point toward what we're going to get to today, the perfect law. The perfect law of liberty. The perfect law of liberty. So you want to do what God commands you to do, calls you to do in that moment. You want to be what God is calling you to be. And that gets us into this next phase, because based upon everything we just read, there's a reason why I had Chuck read then that, that God is the giver of gift, every good and perfect gift, because that brings us into our next section. We always want to remember context. We preach messages, we teach messages, we take verses out of context, and we rip them out and we have them say. So we want to remember the context, where we're at with all this as we go into this, because we're going to have another therefore, right? So based upon all this, what should I do? What should I be? And the reason the term be is because that's exactly where James is going to go. He's going to give us command to be. And there's going to be two things that we're told to be. And it's going to be in, con in contrast with what we're not to be. And so they're on your sermon note sheet. So you don't, I don't need to leave a blank there for you. You have, you have those right out. First one is you need to be swift to hear and slow to speak. Swift to hear, slow to speak. You say, well, where, does that, where does that come from now? It, I mean, that's like out of left field after everything else that comes on, all this. Where does be swift to hear and slow to speak come from? He's talking about, because you've already asked God for wisdom, right? So what do you need to do? You need to listen and quit speaking. So instead of getting angry at God about the situation that he's allowed you to be in, you need to listen for what he's teaching you through it. God, why have you allowed this into my life? I'm not kind of happy right now, God. This is really hard for me to be jumping up and down, excited, joyful for this moment. You know, this is not a good moment. Could you think about, because again, context, 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 right? Who's he talking to? People who are being what? Persecuted for their faith. Okay, it's not a, I stub my big toe moment. We want to equate my, my stub and my big toe with people having their heads on their chop block, people having their kids ripped away from them and, and being killed and thrown to lions. Make sense? That's who he's talking to. So consider big picture here, right? And so when you're struggling with these troublesome situations, these periosmos, periosmoi, that are coming into your life, and it's like really hard to stick under that weight and listen for the buzzer to go off, right? You're supposed to ask God. Ask God for wisdom. So if you're asking God for wisdom, you need to what? You need to listen. Quit complaining. Parents, you get this, shut up and listen, right? Would you just stop it and listen to what I'm telling you? When you? If your kids, you'll get it one day when you grow up, your kids will do that to you too, okay? Instead of telling God what he needs to do, hear what he's instructing you to do. Stop talking, start what? Listening. The wisdom of God leads to the righteousness of God. Or, yeah, the wisdom of God leads to the righteousness of God. The temper tantrums of man do not. The wrath of man does not lead to the righteousness of God. 
when you throw your hissy fit, it's not going to cause you to grow in the image of Christ. It's just not going to go there. If you really want what God wants, and if you want to be conformed to the image of Christ, and God, by his sovereign grace, has allowed this troublesome situation into your life, not that he's caused it, we know that, because God doesn't do that, but if he's allowed it, so think Job for a moment, right? Satan comes in the throne room. Have you seen my servant Job? There's none like him. Boy, he worships me all the time. Well, that's because you just don't let me touch him. You got a hedge about him. Let me touch him. And you, he's, he's done. Good, you can have him. God didn't take, now think about this one. This is kind of rough, isn't it? God didn't take Job's family away from him. God didn't take Job's flocks from him. God didn't take, God didn't take Job's um, uh, crops from him. Who did all that? Satan. But Satan could only do it because God allowed it. And Job said, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. And in all of this, we read, Job did not sin. Because even in that moment where God allowed, he didn't cause, God's still sovereign. But God did it because he knew the work he was going to do in Job. And if you've ever read Job, if you missed the point of it, shame on you. It reveals pride in Job. God used the troublesome situations to boil out the pride. There was dross in Job. As, as righteous as Job was, he wasn't perfect. And God's goal for every one of us is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so he boiled the pride out of Job. What does Job do? He starts to challenge God. I just want to move all your guns. The murmuring and disputing, the complaining, the, right? And so in the end, what happens, right? God comes to Job and says to him what? All right, buddy, you want to stand before me? Here we are. You got what you asked for. Oh, no, I'm undone. I'm completely undone. Take that back, God. No, no, I, I yeah, if we can, nope, nope, too late, dude. We're, here we are. So you tell me, where, does it, where do I store the ice? Come on, big man. You want to mouth off to me? Let's, let's, let's talk. Let's, let's do it. Man, oh, man, oh, right now, you got what you wanted. Leviathan, put a hook in his nose. Come on, handle him. You can do it, can't you? What about Behemoth? How did I make him? How does he do it? Can you do it? Oh, God, I'm so undone. Do you get it? That's the picture. That's us before God. God, you don't know what you're doing. I just want to stand before you. God knows what he's doing. And he's allowing it in your life for a reason. You can either, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you can either embrace it, embrace the affliction, or you can fight against the affliction. God's allowed it for a reason. So, be swift to hear, slow to speak, okay? Now we get to the second one, which is really the bigger section here that he deals with, and that is to be doers of the word and not hearers only. There are two individuals being spoken about that are here then. So being swift to hear, slow to speak, right? Okay, so you've got the individual who's listening to God, but that's all he's doing. He's a, what? Hearer only. But then you have the individual who is hearing, and then he's what? He's doing it, okay? So first we want to talk about the hearer only. The hearer only is 
fruitless in his life. He's deceiving himself. Now, there's two thoughts of that. It says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own self. Now, disclaimer, when Marsha and I first got saved, these were our life verses, James 1, 22 to 25. So, talking about favorite passages in the Bible, this is one of my top three, okay, type thing, okay? God has worked this in me for, for many, many years. But you've got this hearer only. He's deceiving himself. They're leading themselves astray. Paralogizomai, para okay? Logizomai, we're logistics, logic, okay? Para, like paragraph, alongside the writing, okay? So they have this logic that's kind of going around, okay? And so they see what's happening, right? But they bring this logic, this reasoning that it doesn't apply to them. I see what it says, but clearly it's talking about you. That's who it is. Do you ever read passages and you instantly you're thinking about somebody else? Boy, they need to hear this one. <laughs> Sorry, that's you. Um, we'll get to the mirror in a moment, right? I try to always remember that God wrote everything he wrote. Sorry. For Bob. He didn't write it for Brian. He did. But Brian's got to own that one. Does it make sense? When I'm reading it, I'm not reading it for Steve. I'm not reading it for you all. You need to understand, when I do quiet time in the morning, it's not from the book of James right now. Quiet time's for Bob. I want God to convict me of my sin. I want God to encourage me in my relationship with him. So I, when I study in the morning, it's not for you all. Okay? It's not. Now, someone asked me once, do I preach for my quiet times? I don't preach for my quiet times. And I said, but your quiet times really affect your preaching. That's a true statement. That's 100% true. Okay? However... You've got to make sure that when you are in God's word, you're not in it for somebody else, okay? So I challenge you, guys, ladies, if you're ever studying for a Bible study or whatever, please do not use your quiet time to prepare for other people. Allow God to work in you apart from what he's trying to teach you to teach others, okay? So it doesn't apply to me. Well, it does apply to me. They're only fooling themselves. Think about what it says here. This, I love this statement because this is a two-edged sword statement. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. You're not deceiving anybody else. Everybody else sees it. You're a hypocrite. You're kind of out there thinking that you're doing something and you're trying to show, you know, glamorize for everybody else, but everybody sees what it is. Kids know. Kids can see. Kids see the real you, right? They are wise in their own eyes. I have some verses here that I want to... They're on your, um, a lot of these are on your sermon note sheet, okay? Wise in your own eyes, Proverbs 3, 5 to 8. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear Yahweh and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. So when you are wise in your own eyes, what are you not being? How did that start? How does Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 start? Trust in the Lord. If I'm, if I'm being wise in my own eyes, I'm trusting in me, not in Yahweh. Do you get it? Yeah. So, so there's always this debate. Do I listen to Bob or do I listen to God? Okay? I listen to God. That's who I should be, right? Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he who heeds counsel is wise. Yeah, I heard someone say, hmm, that's exactly right. Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So not only are you a fool, there's more hope for a fool than for you when you're listening to yourself 
rather than God. Guys, how many times is it? I mean, we'll just take it totally out of the biblical moral realm. And you're trying to do a project and you don't read the instructions. I got this. There's a whole lot of laughter going on, huh? Why is that? Because in the end, you find out what? You ain't got it. I, and again, if you've been here long enough, you know that God raised up for me a home improvement business. I don't do it anymore, but I was doing a home improvement business. We built decks, we did bathroom remodels, all this kind of stuff. And I remember when God was doing it, I'm a programmer. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an artificial intelligence programmer. That's what I was growing up. I didn't do construction. But when we started this church, God started that business for me. Literally, he started it. We won't go there. a long story. But anyways, there were times when I'm doing jobs, it's like I am a duck out of water. I'm the fish out of the pond. I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. And I, I'm sitting there in somebody's bathroom praying, God, I haven't got a clue. They're paying me to do this, and I ain't got a clue what I'm doing. And in the end, they're either going to glorify you or they're going to curse you. And so I want them to glorify you. Help me. And I can't tell you how many times you've heard stories, right? How many times God gives me a vision, God gives me an understanding, whether it's to call somebody, whether it's the part that I need, whether it's how to do something. And the, the giver of all wisdom is proven that. I mean, there was once, just real quick, that I had a vision once of, of this rectangular thing that was going to have cables on each side and was going to do one of these things and it was going to tighten. Now, many of you are listening to that thing and you say, oh, it's a turnbuckle. I had no clue. And I just knew that, okay, God, this is going to be the thing I need. And I went to Lowe's. I just saw the guy that helped me yesterday when I went to Lowe's. It kind of brightened my brain. And, um, and so I go in, and, and the guy in Lowe's says, can I help you? And I said, I hope so. And he says, what do you need? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I said, I got this job. I prayed. God told, showed me that I'm going to need this thing. I don't know what it is. And he says, he says you mean a turnbuckle? And he says, and I said, I don't know. Show me what it looks like. So he took me over to the, that aisle, and I looked at him. That's exactly what I need. That's exactly what I need. He says, what size? I said, I don't know. <laughs> God is so cool. He does these things, right? But if, if you're a hearer only, you're wise in your own eyes. You're not going to God. You're not looking to God. God's got an answer for everything. Do you believe it or do you don't believe it? They're wise in their own eyes. They're playing the hypocrite. They're looking to be one person on the outside, but inside they're full of what? What's Jesus say? Dead men's bones. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's from Matthew 23. Matthew 6, three times Jesus tells us not to play the hypocrite. He says, therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory for men. And then he says the same thing when he's about prayer. Then he says the same thing about fasting, okay? Don't do it for others. If you're only reading the word, only listening to the word, again, for other people, and you do things so other people think that you are righteous, you might as well not do them. If you're here today to punch a ticket with God, you might as well have gone to the lake and enjoyed it. Because there's no ticket punching with God. The desire to come to a worship service is to do what? Worship. And you ought to already be doing that in your heart when you come. Don't expect us to generate worship in your heart. That's between you and God. You come to join other people to exalt God for what he is doing in your life. Does it make sense? That's what this is all about. So James then gives them this illustration. He said, what does this look like? 
Well, he talks then about pure religion and undefiled. Because you've got these individuals then, right? So here we have at the very end, if anyone among you thinks that he's what? Religious, religious, but we'll go righteous on that one, but religious. It's an actual term for religion. He says, if anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own what? Heart. In other words, I can be religious and still talk the way I talk. Is that stepping on anybody's toes? It ought to. Stepping on Bob's toes a lot. I mean, my relationship with my wife, it stepped on my toes an awful lot. Before I was saved, I was an angry young man. I'm the guy who stopped the car, called my name, called my wife every name in the book and told her to get her out of the car. Jesus came into my heart and he was changing me. But you got to understand that that was a work in progress, right? That he who began the good work in you will perform to the day of Christ. And he took some things away, but it doesn't take everything away because he allows that to continue to be the thing that you're what? Hoopo-mooning. Oh, this is so hard. It is hard. And you fail. And you feel like dirt. Because you are. Because you're never going to get to the point where you can earn your own righteousness. Your righteousness always comes, always comes from Jesus Christ. Do you get that? Okay. Even after you're saved, it's not your own righteousness. It's his righteousness. How cool is that, right? So if you think you're religious, but you're not brattling your tongue, you're deceiving your own heart. Your religion is what? Useless, worthless. It's not going to do you anything. Pure religion and undefiled is this. Visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble and keep oneself unspotted from the world. You want to know what it is? It's being someone in doing what comes as a result of it. It's thinking of others as more important than yourself. That's the mind of Christ. Philippians chapter 2. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto the point of death. If you haven't got it, your religion is useless. That's the mind of Christ. That's what, he is, that's what he's transforming us to be into. Selfless individuals. That we are thinking about other people all the time. Have you made it? No. Do you struggle with it? Yes. Do you want it? Do you have a burning passion to have it? Hopefully it's a yes. That's what you need to have. i got to have a burning passion to have the mind of Christ. People ask me, what's my five-year plan? I don't know. Five years from now, I want to look more like Jesus than I do right now. I wish I could tell you what that looks like. But clearly, I'm not there. So five years from now, I can go back and I can look. Has God continued to do his work in me? Yes, he has. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. If you'd have known me 40 years ago, you wouldn't have known me. That's all I can tell you. And for the last 40 years, 
He's been kind of chiseling away, chiseling away, sanding here, sanding there, taking it off, taking it off. And it's been an amazing thing. I look back and I, I can't see like when this happened, when that happened, when this happened. I just know that he's been what? He's been working. He's been doing it. Kind of fun stuff. Okay. He distracts himself. He looks into the mirror. He looks into the mirror. He sees him what? Himself. And he goes his way and straightway he forgets what manner of man he was. You get that in the morning, right? You wake up. I don't know what your, your plans are. Maybe the first thing you do when you wake up is go put the coffee on so you can do everything else and, and work, figure it out. My first thing in the morning is I like to get a shower, okay? I might shave before the shower. I might shower after the... Sh- I might shave before the shower. I might shave after the shower. Yeah, anyways, shower after shave. Anyways, but yeah. Anyways, that's what I'm like when I get in the morning. That's why I get my shower first, okay? Forget the coffee because I might make it wrong, okay? So I'm going to get in the shower, right off the bat. But I might shave first. And sometimes you can probably tell if I've shaved before I showered. You get that, right? Because you're looking at me saying, oh, yeah, I said, you know, you, 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 yeah, I haven't shaved for a while. Actually, I do shave every day. It's really kind of an amazing thing. Anyways, um, <laughs> you're looking at me and go, oh, it doesn't, yeah, it is. I shaved, shaved the back of my neck today, too, so it's just kind of weird. Um, TMI, I know. Okay, that's right. Um, but you look in the mirror. You look at it. You see your what? Your imperfections. That's the idea of the mirror. Not to stand there and go, yeah, baby. Man, Marsha is a, a very fortunate individual. Whew. Yeah, she, she got to go on. I put a black screen over it. Anyways, <laughs> that's not the purpose of the mirror. The purpose of the mirror is for you to see your what? Your imperfections. When you're combing your hair, you can see where you missed. For some of you, it doesn't matter. Okay. So, (laughs) when you're a teenager, it's to see your, you know? (laughs) I was the kid with the purple face. I had zits on zits on zits. I get that, okay? It's okay. It's real. It's real stuff, man. Okay? And so, that's what the mirror is for you know what? God wrote this book to expose you. Do you know that's what the law is all about? He gives us the law to expose our sin. Is it comfortable when you find out that you've been disobeying God all this time and you didn't even know it? I mean, when I first got saved, the stuff that I'm struggling with now, they weren't even blips on the map. I mean, we're talking big ones. Porn, alcoholism, you know, smoke, smoking. I mean, the biggies, you know, they're all out there, right? I mean, I wasn't worried about nuances of how I'm speaking to my wife and whether I'm really loving her and, and that kind of stuff. I mean, that, that weren't even there. I mean, big ones, you know, like four-letter words, those kind of things. They might have been on the, on the map, but not nuances. But as you read it, as you read it, we'll get there, right? He's exposing the hearer only distracts himself. First, he has this reading distraction. He doesn't look deep enough into it. Now, here's what I'm going to say. You might read through the, the Bible in a year and, and more power to you. Okay? I've done it a couple times just so I can have the, the underworld. I can't. If I read through the Bible in a year, I get nothing out of it. Okay? I'm a slow reader. That may be hard to believe. I am. I'm a slow reader. Okay? And so I read literally only a chapter or two 
a day so I can meditate on it, so I can think on it. And so every day, if someone you know, know this, okay, I have three things that I do in my quiet time every day. What does the passage say? How does the passage apply to my life? What's my prayer response to God? Because the prayer response to God is the commitment time. Based upon what I read that day, he wrote this for me. This is how it applies to my life. What am I going to do as a response? So when we end this thing and I ask you those questions, I do that to myself every single day. How am I going to apply it to my life? What's my prayer response to God? Sometimes it may be praise. Sometimes it may be confession. Sometimes it may be pleading with God. But the hearer only doesn't do that. The hearer only reads surface, superficial, gains the knowledge so that they can be looking very smart in the eyes of other people, that they can win <laughs> the, the Bible trivia games, right? Yeah. That's been the thing this week, we playing Bible trivia game. Anyways, so, but I got to be careful, okay? Because I don't want to win the games just to show what? I'm so smart. I got all this. Make sense? And so that's the wrong reason to do that, okay? Application distraction. This is worse. This one's worse. It's one thing looking in a mirror and not seeing the hairs up here because my eyes are blurried or whatever and, and I just don't shave them. It's another thing to see that wart and say, I'm okay with that wart. I'm good with the wart. I'm going to leave the wart there. I'm not going to worry about taking care of the wart. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. So you read the word, you recognize what it's saying about you, and then you make a choice. You choose to purposely ignore what you just read. Woe be the individual who does that. We all can do that. So let's go to the doer. The doer of the word is blessed in his life, okay? The first thing he does is he accepts, it's what we see, he accepts um, the implanted word is what the um, New, New King James says, um, the engrafted word, which is what like New American Standard and many other versions. I don't like either one of them. I spent a lot of time this week just checking myself out and going over at this, and the word literally emphuson literally means, so fuson, fuso, is to, to be welled up and to grow, okay? And in is to be in, so it's growing in you. And literally, if you look this up on Google, and you can go to Google Translate, and you can put in the word, and you can find out, the word literally means to be that which is innate, natural, inherent into, some, into something. So I'm going to, for some of you, this may be a challenge, again, on some of your theologies, okay? This may be just new information to you, okay? Romans chapter 1, as you see up here, is where we're going to begin, as we talk about what is this inherent word that's in us, okay? Um, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the what? Who suppress the truth. They, they suppress the truth. Now, you need to understand what is the truth that they are suppressing. Now, where I'm going here, again, let me step back for a moment. Again, remember, this is a Jewish man, a Hebrew, writing to who? Hebrews. Where we're going to go here today is a Hebrew mind. You need to understand a Hebrew concept. Okay, that's going on here. Okay, it's not your Western uh, uh, concept of, of of where you're at. Okay, so you got to change the way you think on this one. Okay, so the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is what manifest in them. It's manifested in 
them. For God has shown it to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Ecclesiastes, I think chapter 5, tells us that God has put something in the hearts of man. What is it? Eternity. Eternity. Literally in the Hebrew, it's the word ulam. Ulam is that which is just over the horizon. When do you get to that which is just over the horizon? Never. Never. So it's concept of perpetuity, right? So God has placed in the heart of man, every single man, the concept of perpetuity. Every individual who is born understands that there's something more than right now. Again, we've talked about this before. We're body, soul, spirit. Trees out there, they eat, they drink, they breathe. They're alive, but they don't, they're not social. They don't have no, no community, no that kind of stuff. The squirrels are climbing up that tree. They eat, they drink, they breathe. They have a what? They have a body. But squirrels, what? They chatter amongst each other and they talk. And if you ever hunt, you don't want the squirrels to do what? Chatter. You don't want them to talk, telling everybody, you know, or the buck comes through, he sees you before you see him, and he makes his big, I've done, been there, done this, you know, and he makes that big triangle or square around you blowing, telling everything else in the area to do what? Stay out of your, that area, right? Because the man's out there, he's ready to shoot you, okay? They, animals commune. But you've never seen a group of dogs get together to have a worship service. You've never seen a bunch of birds get together to have a prayer meeting. It just doesn't happen. Because there's a difference now between them and us. Man, we have a body, right? We eat, we drink, and breathe. We have a soul. We commune with one another. But man everywhere on the face of this planet wants to worship something, even if it's himself. That's because they're made in the image and likeness of God. They are made as a spirit being. And as a spirit being, God has put ulam, the, the concept of perpetuity, in their hearts. Every individual born on the face of this planet knows inherently there is a God. And then God has given them testimony of that in his creation. So man inherently knows that there's something beyond him, and he looks out in the creation, and he begins to apply that knowledge. But man chooses to suppress, not just ignore, suppress. Ignore is one thing. That's just kind of, it's kind of out there. But suppressing is actually a, a volitional thing that we do. We make a choice because we don't, if there is this creator being, if there is this one who's above me, then I'm going to give an account to him. And I don't want to give an account to anybody. I want to do my own thing. I want to go after my own burning desires, not his. So I suppress the truth. And that's why the wrath of God is coming upon us. And so in John 1, oh, I did have Ecclesiastes 3 there, okay? And in John 1, um, Jesus says, we're told about Jesus, that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made, right? And then it says, in him, that is the Word, was life, and the life was the light of men. Who created Everybody. Jesus. He is the word that brings light to each individual. And so you can debate how this plays out, but again, I believe this is going back to that Jewish concept that God has put this 
light, this inherent knowledge in every individual, whoever is born, okay? Now, I'm going to bring you another Hebrew concept that's going to blend together with this, okay? The concept of the word. Um, on the Greek side, you have um, logos, that's this, and this is our word in J James 1, logos, but you also have the word rhema. So Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the rhema of God, the spoken word of God, not the logos. Logos equates over to devar in the Hebrew, rhema equates over to amar in the Hebrew. You say, oh, that's all Greek. No, it's actually Hebrew I'm talking now, okay? And so, so big deal, okay? I'm going to come back to logos and rhema in a moment, okay? But when I come back over to the... the the Hebrew mindset, okay, because this is what's being played out here. The concept of devar, so amar, so let's start with amar. Amar is like rhema. Amar is a spoken word, okay? And so you'll see these played out in Psalm 119, okay? If you go to your Strong's Concordance and you paint by the numbers thing, you can go check me out on this, okay? You'll see that there's the different words that are played out here. Amar is then the spoken word. Devar is the concept, the idea, so it's kind of like um, an encyclopedia. You go there for knowledge, for understanding, for a, a, a concept, okay? And so, so the devar, the word, logos, coming into the Greek, okay, is not really the word message, but it's the, 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 the concept that is being there. So I can speak God, but when I speak God, you are thinking of the concept of God. Does, are you tracking with me? Okay. Go ahead, Ted. Is this sort of like the letter of the law and the spirit of the law? It can apply there. It, it, yeah, 100%. In the Jewish mind, it can go there. The letter of the law versus the spirit of the law, 100%. Um, and so, so you have, we have the written word. Make sense? But the written word contains concepts. Does it make sense? Okay. Now, I believe every little, it's inspired by, you know, da, 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 it's God-breathed, so I'm not, I'm not going there, okay? But in it, as you're reading it, you understand that God is taking these literal what? Ink on a page, and he's taking this ink on a page as you read the word. So think of this as rhema kind of squatted on a, on a page. But now you're, when you read it, you're getting the logos. You're getting the understanding. You're getting the meaning, the, the intent of what he is saying. And that's what's impacting you. Do you understand? Right now, I'm doing a whole lot of rhema-ing. In your brain, you're doing a whole lot of logosing. Are you, are you tracking with me? Okay. This is important when we get to this, this whole concept here, okay? Because Jesus is the what? He's the logos who rhema'd. He's the word of God who said, let there be light. Do you get it? He had concepts. He is that. Big, and everything is in God. I mean, all understanding, all truth, all that is in him. He is the word. And he spoke. Can you even imagine how you are made? I mean, the more and more we do all this nanotechnology stuff, it's just flabbergasting all the, the, the little uh, machinery that's inside your cells. Do you realize God just kind of did that all in one moment? 
It was all in his mind. And he just formed man. He didn't even speak us into being. He did something special. He touched us. Isn't that kind of cool? But he spoke the sun, the moon, and the stars. He formed them, threw them out there. All one moment. He wasn't sitting there going, oh, man, I forgot to calculate what the, the orbit needs to be for the earth. No, man, there's a, it's there. That's the same thing. It's what God does in each one of us. And the exciting thing is that God puts those concepts, logos, of who he is in each individual. And we are told to receive that inherent message, if you would, that inherent understanding of who God is. That doesn't mean you're saved. Make sense? But that God has given you a witness from the beginning of his existence. Matthew 7, I don't have time to go a whole lot into this, but this is the, the part where, again, Jesus <laughs> says, you know, they're tempting him. Is it, you know, is it right for us to give taxes? And he says, give me, give me one of your, your coins. He says, whose inscription and whose, or whose image and whose inscription is this? He doesn't need to say inscription. Why does he say inscription? It's words. Whose concepts? Whose image and whose concepts are on that coin? Give to Caesar the image and the concepts that belong to, to Caesar. But give to God the image and the concepts that belong to God. You tracking with me? We kind of scoot past the inscription side, but there's a reason he says it. He doesn't need to. He could have just said, whose picture's on it? Well, give to, give to Caesar those things that belong to Caesar. Give to God. But he says inscriptions. There's a reason he says that. Those are the words which represent the concepts of that world. Are you serving the world? Or are you serving God? Give to God the things that are God. You're made in his image and likeness. Give it to him. Okay. So it's inherent within him. And when you do it, when you receive that word, you're supposed to do it with what? With meekness. Humbleness again, right? And you can go to the verses that I have in your sermon note sheet to look at that, okay? There's no pride. There's no arrogance in it, okay? Knowing that it is able to deliver your soul. Now, I want to go into that, but I don't have time to go into that, okay? The whole concept of being delivered, okay, is not necessarily an eternal deliverance. This is talking about just even on a, a surface level deliverance, okay? Being delivered from those what? Troublesome situations that you're in, okay? So when you read the word of God, that he gives it to you so that you can be delivered from that if you're applying it. So he applies the word, which he hears, that he, he hears. So blessed are the end of foul in the way. Um, who walk in the law of the Lord. We, we, we sang the second uh, stanza, but this is the first stanza, right? Blessed are the undefiled in the Lord who walk in the law of the... Well, wait a minute. In a way, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with their whole heart. And you can keep going on with it, right? But there's this whole idea that when you do what God has, has told you to do, you're what? You're blessed, okay? Matthew 7 Therefore, he who hears these sayings of mine and does them, I like him unto a wise man. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, he's like a foolish man. Okay? That's how it plays out. So the, the, the doer of the word is blessed in his life because he, he, he accepts the word, he applies the word, he then studies it. He looks intently into the perfect law of liberty. Okay? Looking intently into it. The word that is used there literally isn't just like a surface looking. It's just like, oh, I browsed it. But literally, how many of you guys ever, you can be honest, how many of you ever watched uh, Hogan's Heroes? Did you ever watch Hogan's Heroes? 
All right, there we go. Okay, good. All right, all right. Do you remember the time when, um, oh, the British, um, um, the, the British guy, thin British guy. Oh, no, no, that's Newkirk. Was that? So the thin, the thin guy was sent down into the well to, to, to get the map. Do you remember that? And Newkirk and uh, uh, Hogan, they were looking into the, into the well, and they're trying to see. Anybody remember that thin guy's name? Anyways, they're looking down to try to see this guy. Do you think it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah. Carter, yes. Carter's down there. It's at nighttime, and they're looking into a well. Do you think they're just looking surface superficially, or do you think they're looking, like, really intently? That's this word. They're looking intently into the word. They are looking to find something. Proverbs 2 tells me, um, uh, 3 to 6, says, um, if thou criest, if thou criest after knowledge and lift your voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So I got to sing it, okay? But that's what it says, okay? So if you're listening to the words of that, what I just sang, I just sang scripture, okay? And this. Bob was all into music, okay? So for me to memorize, I can put the music and I got it, okay? But you got to want it. You got to search after it. You got to seek for it. You got to hunger for it. And if you seek after it, you do all that kind of, God's going to bless you, okay? Into what? The perfect law of liberty. We don't have time to go through all this. Uh, Steve had us read 2 Corinthians 3 during the communion time. But Galatians 5.1 says to stand fast in the liberty wherewith we've been called. But then he says in verses 13 to 15 about this liberty, that the liberty wasn't given to us for us to be able to spend it on our own flesh, but rather that we might serve one another. For the whole law, the whole law is summed up in this one thing, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so in Luke, he said, Jesus, when Jesus said that, they said, well, teacher, who is my neighbor, right? And so he gives them the illustration of the good Samaritan. So quickly, real quickly, as we come through the, the, the good Samaritan thing, Jesus said there was a Jewish man who was going down and he was, he was, he was um, um, robbed and he was left for dead, right? And so coming up from Jericho, I've been on this, the wadi, okay, the wadi walk. Um, from Jericho to Jerusalem, you go along the wadi, there's a, a little walkway that goes along the ridge, okay? And so some parts it's only about this big, some parts it's a little bit wider, okay? But that's what they would use as their road going between the two, okay? And so this guy's left for dead, Okay, and so coming up from Jericho, the first guy who comes up is who? A priest, a priest, okay? Jesus, again, chose people in particular, right? So this priest is coming up from Jericho. He's going to Jerusalem. Why do you think he's going to Jerusalem? To serve serve in the temple, to serve God in the temple, okay? It's his time of service. So he comes up, and what does he see? A dead man, a a potentially dead man. To him, a what? An unclean man dead man. For him to touch this guy is to make himself unclean. If he touches this guy and he becomes unclean, what can't he do? He can't serve God. So according to the law, we always want to make this guy a bad guy. No, he's, he's trying to serve God. And according to the laws of God, he has to bypass this guy. Do you get it? Who's the next guy that comes through? A Levite. Why is the Levite coming? Because he's serving in the temple. Who's the third guy that comes through? A Samaritan, what does he see? He sees somebody needs help. He's not worried about the law. He's not worried about becoming 
unclean. That's the picture of loving your neighbor. You have been released from the consequences of the law so that you can serve other people without having to worry about becoming unclean. Not so that you can go party it up and do whatever your flesh wants to do. All things are lawful unto me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful unto me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. All things are lawful unto me. We go into chapter 6, um, 10 at that point. But not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful unto me, but not all things edify. Do you get it? There's a reason. God didn't free me from the law so I can just serve myself, serve my flesh. The perfect law of liberty is so I can consider your needs better, stronger than my needs and your wants better than my wants. And that I can, like Christ, serve you. Even when you are unlovely in my eyes. So he studies it, but then finally he remains in it. And you can read uh, John 8, John 15. He remains in it. It's not just a one-time moment. It's not, again, just for other people to see. But he is dwelling in the word, and the word is dwelling in him. And it's transforming him, and he's coming more and more like Jesus. So, in the end... How do you respond to troublesome situations in your life? Do you get mad and angry, or do you listen to God for what he's teaching you? Would God describe you, would God describe you, not would you describe you, would God describe you as a doer of the word or a hearer only? Okay, that's a real question you need to ask yourself, okay? Based upon what you've seen and heard in God's word over the past four weeks then, coming from James chapter one, what are you gonna do? Be a what? Doer of the word, not a hearer only. So based upon not what I've taught, my words are like chaff which the wind drives away, right? I hope it is. But based upon the eternal strength of God's word, what are you going to do? Did you just listen to it and say, ah, yeah, that's kind of cold. That's anyway. Okay, let's go on to chapter two. Or did God share with you, not Bob, but did God share with you something in those four weeks that he's exposing in you that you need to work on? If so, what are you going to do as a response? Is there a name, change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. It's true, it's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, it's amazing for me to think of the fact that you want us to know you so much that you have placed within us that ability, but we purposely suppress it. But you sent the Holy Spirit to convict us of the righteousness, judgment, and sin, appealing to that, that just being within us, that, that the fact that we're made in your image in order that we might be drawn to you. Lord, help us to desire to be doers of your word then and not just hearers only. That we, won't, we would want to be like Christ. And so the burning passion then of our life would draw us to you and not draw us to sin. That we would be pulled toward righteousness and not pulled toward unlawfulness. May you be magnified in our lives individually and then our lives as an assembly. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.